Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame podcast series featuring the best of the best video games of all time. Yes, that's right. We'll be going through the history of video games and discussing the elite games from all generations. Please tune in each week, subscribe as we discuss, break down, and cheer on our inductees. My name is Matt Levy, and we are joined today by Mike Staub. How are you, Mike? I am good. I'm very good. I'm surrounded in my fortress of games here in my semi lockdown so i've had a lot of time over the last six to seven months to really get acquainted to the uh, games that i enjoyed growing up and some that i might have missed along the way so i hope everyone out there is as healthy and safe as you possibly can be and hopefully you too have been able to reconnect with some of this stuff to help bring some of that joy back into the old life during this whole very strange and difficult time for a lot of people Absolutely. I think these, these last few months have given people a lot of time to look through their libraries and hopefully play some games they enjoy in the safety, hopefully, of their, of their home. Absolutely. And uh, I will tell you this much, it has not helped my eBay prices on me wanting to repurchase some of the stuff that I might have lost along the way or stuff that I never bought before because I tried to buy Suikoden in two and it's now like 300 bucks. So I would just like to let everyone know to ease up a little bit. My wallet can't handle it. <laughs> we'll let the audience out there know that. Try and take it easy on Mike, guys. He's got a limited budget like we all do. It's like, come on, I, you know, I can only afford, you know, I can only pay, you know, 50 60 there are some games i'd pay 100 for but once you start getting into that creeping into that range above that but nes cartridges have definitely shot up a bit and they've been that they've been expensive over the last few years but good let the collectors let some collectors get their get some money for this stuff or let people who you know sell it get what it's worth and there's a lot of great stuff out there to play so i'm excited to continue to collect and to talk about this stuff this is cool this is something that i've never been able to <laughs> as hard as I might have tried at points, have never been able to fully shake. So I'm very, very happy to be here and talk about games and embrace, embrace what they are, embrace how important they are to our culture and how they are to artistic expression in, to a degree as well. So it's very, very cool. It's a thank you for having me. Absolutely, Mike. And this is something uh, like, like yourself uh, has been a longtime passion and hobby of mine. And I can't wait to talk about and discuss and share these games with, with the world. People that don't know the, the time and age they came out in. Some of these games almost unplayable unless you can find, as you said, uh, the rare copies of some of these games. So I think it'll be fun to dive deep into what makes these games great. Yeah, and, and I, know, I got the show notes. And I know that one of the games today that we're going to talk about is, is one of these strange situations where it's not the easiest to get because you're dealing with a license. So being able to open people's eyes to this stuff because they might not really have the ability to access it in its original form, hopefully it'll get people excited for it. And when people get excited, hopefully they find out some way to re-release stuff like this in the future as well. Well, that's a great actually segue into our first game in our Hall of Fame series. So the first game that we're going to discuss with you today is the original DuckTales game for the Nintendo Entertainment System that was actually released back in 1989, back in September of 1989. So we are going back a little bit here, guys. And this game was developed by Capcom long developing and still going uh, company. Uh, yeah, and this they're, was still, 
top tier, man. They're yeah, still yeah. like on top of the world. They're probably the outside of Nintendo, probably the premier Japanese game developer today. I would, you know, you could probably throw some others in there, but I don't think I don't really think Capcom has Capcom has had a really great decade in terms of stuff. So it's really cool to go back to see where they came from. I'm glad you said that last decade, because I, I do agree they had their shaky points like a lot, a lot of developers had, but I think they've been really strong with some of their recent releases and they've become, like you said, a very well-respected uh, developer. Absolutely. And to be fair, the high def or the HD generation was definitely highlighted a whole bunch of growing pains for a lot of companies at that point in time. So you really can't hold it against a company like Capcom who had some trouble during the aughts, you know, when you're talking about the PS3 and the Xbox 360, it was definitely a strange transitional period. You actually saw a lot of Japanese game developers who didn't use engines and whatnot and did everything in house come into like these issues where they primarily produce games on like the 3ds or they were making they were still making ps2 games for a long time because the jump to hd kind of muddled and confused everyone and capcom they were you know they weathered the storm they put out some great stuff at that period of time including you know stuff like dead rising was a new series they started during that and that was like the first game i remember in hd going oh i can't read this on an srt uh, on a crt and then uh and then eventually you get stuff like street fighter 4 which was also very very good so capcom was always chugging along they obviously like you said they had a weird a weird patch in in that period but it's nice to see they're back with the success of stuff like monster hunter and devil may cry and resident evil and the real resident evil remakes which have been great but it all started kind of with a little boy robot and a duck <laughs> so it's crazy how we we go back to that period of time where capcom was much more invested in doing these kind of wonderful licensed projects. Well, absolutely. And as you stated just now and, and before, that this is a licensed project, which back at the time in, in the NES days, everyone thought it was the good idea, the smart, probably financial idea to take a known license and try and make a video game as, out of it because then when moms and dads bring their kids to the store and they see on the wall there, uh, whether it's E.T. or X-Men or Spider-Man or any of those known properties, you get some familiarity to, to customers and they now instantly say, oh, well, that's something I know. I can instantly relate to it. It's funny because that permeated, right? That mentality continued. I worked at GameStop from 2004 to 2008. And during that period of time, that was still something that stood out to people. Now, your classic gaming characters were much more well-known by the general populace at that point in time. So you knew you were going to get quality out of them, but still time and time again, you would have these, for lack of a better word, bad licensed <laughs> projects that would be awful. Now, and, and parents would go, oh, you love this. You should buy this game. And I don't know how many times I've had to steer parents away from buying some garbage platformer to tell them, like, just buy Ratchet and Clank for your kid. You're going to buy all three of them. They're all great. And it's not a known quantity. So it's still, it was still kind of something that permeated for a while. But during the NES era, the, the licensed games were actually a little better. Uh, and this one is definitely one of the best. I think, I think this game belongs in a, a special part in the Hall of Fame all on its own with high-quality licensed projects 
because so many of them were so hit or miss for so long. Like you mentioned X-Men and Spider-Man and the X-Men game on the NES is one of the worst things I've ever played. The Spider-Man games on the NES weren't very good either. And I would argue that Spidey, who's my favorite superhero, if you couldn't see the giant Spider-Man picture behind me, didn't really get a good game until... I would say probably the N64 that had some playable yeah, games, like but the they were nothing 90s? noteworthy. The late they, 90s, yeah. I would definitely agree with you that I think the reason why there were so many back then was probably because the cost of entry and the, to, to make a game was much less back then. But I think as licenses ramped up and game costs went up, I think they had budgetary restrictions and time restrictions to get games out, sometimes to tie in with a movie or a story or a game or I mean, a, you know, a TV show. Yeah, absolutely. And what's kind of, that's kind of actually part of the thing that's kind of weird about some of these licensed games, especially like even DuckTales, if we, when, when we get more into it, there's something weird about the timing on it. But when you look back at it, yeah, it was, you got to get it out for the movie. And a lot of times if they were constrained, I also think that some of it had to do with a lack of creativity. You know, these LJN licensed mm. projects like Silver Surfer and Wolverine oh. and the X-Men were really bad. Like I'm talking seriously awful. And, and it was just like, ah, put Wolverine on it. The kids love him. It's like, yeah, we do. I do. I had a Wolverine mask and claws as a kid and I had every action <laughs> figure, but you know, we got to a point and I think it's kind of like comic book movies, right? For a while, it was like comic book movies. You had to go see them all because you wanted them to get support so that they would make good ones because they were all bad for a while. And nowadays, it's like, okay, there's a lot of good ones so we can be selective. So by the time you started getting, you know, as we got better, as we cultivated more of our tastes as gamers, as we grew up, we realized like, ah, this is probably not a great license project. We probably shouldn't buy, buy this game. But DuckTales is an exception. Yeah, I agree. And actually, I think, as you just said, I think licensed projects have been rarer and rarer. You see fewer mm -hmm. and fewer of them every year, probably because of that. And those that are licensed these days that really get a good push are almost handled to the point where they're not licensed. Um, they're not tied to a movie. They're not tied to a TV show. And you might get something like that in like a mobile game or something like that. But for example, Spider-Man on the PS4, mm -hmm. they weren't looking to tie that to Spider-Man Homecoming or Spider-Man Far From Home. It's no part of the MCU. It's just, or whatever Sony-verse Spider-Man's in. It's just a, a really great Spider-Man game. And I think Rocksteady kind of, very importantly, upset the apple cart by making a Batman game that wasn't the animated series, that wasn't a movie, but it was something that embraced everything that was good about Batman and created, you know, Arkham, Arkham Asylum, Arkham City. And then you got Spidey. And, you know, we could talk about Disney properties until we're blue, blue in the <laughs> face. And a lot of the Disney-related games are actually very good, even if they're tertiary or secondary relations, like Spider-Man, who's in a weird spot, or like mm -hmm. Star Wars Fallen, Fallen Order, Mm -hmm. uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which came out last year, was also very, very good. Yeah, excellent. D DuckTales really, for me, as a gamer, represents one of the first, as, as, as a gamer of my age, to be fair, represents one of the first and most memorable license experiences to the point where the license isn't as important of how good the game is. Right. I think it's that's almost what, like the what, game is good on its own. Exactly. I think that's what makes a great license game is that you can take the property, just as you said, Rocksteady's Batman, you could take it away. You could take that license away and it's just a good game on it's, a good its game. own. It's a good game. And so, so what is it about DuckTales that makes it 
a good game, Mike? What, what features, what attributes make this just a good game? See, I think part of the, pro- part of the issue here is that and this might be what makes it good. It, it's almost like you go and play these games. And it's almost like Capcom, who I love to death. Uh, Capcom is, full disclosure, I'm a Capcom fanboy. <laughs> Capcom is my second favorite video game company, only behind Nintendo. So I've spent a lot of time playing Capcom games. If, you, if I were to give you my top five games of all time or top t- 10 games of all time, there's a significant percentage that are Capcom games. I almost think... <laughs> And, uh, you know, I love Capcom to death, but they almost have no idea what the show's about or what's really going on. And that's part of the reason why it's good. Because it's like, all right, what does Scrooge McDuck do? I don't know. He's got a cane. Let's have him pogo stick on the cane constantly. It's like, all right. I would agree. The plot of this game is very unimportant to the actual success of the game. And, like, like, I, I mean, I watch DuckTales a lot whether it's the original DuckTales that I grew up with or the DuckTales that they've re-released or mm-hmm, the new DuckTales mm-hmm. that they've put on uh, whatever Disney channel that it's on now. I watch it on the streaming app, Disney+. Plus. I mean, I don't see Scrooge Pogo stick on anyone. So, <laughs> well, this is, based, this is based on the animated TV series, but I would say very loosely. Loosely. It's <laughs> just like, he's also like, he's an old man duck. Like, he's got a lot of energy for an old guy, Scrooge McDuck. But he's an old dude. The only thing they kind of really nailed here was that he, he likes money and treasure. So that's what he's doing. He's an explorer getting treasure. But like you look at the stages and the enemies that you see in these stages and outside of like the bosses like Magicka, most of them are like, I don't remember. I don't remember Scrooge McDuck fighting apes in the Amazon. <laughs> I like it and I love it. And I love the, you know, the KG Inafune art, which is glorious but in the end, it's, it's almost good because it's just like, well, we want to make a good game mm-hmm. and we're going to just kind of need a character to put on this and we have this DuckTales license. What's actually really funny about this whole situation is that obviously Capcom's a Japanese developer and mm-hmm. they really cut their teeth in this era on doing some, some pretty good licensed projects. And actually, it's kind of part of their DNA. Sure. I mean, how many great Marvel games did, did Capcom make, uh, especially with the fighting games and all that mm-hmm. stuff for all those years? Mm-hmm. But when you look at it, and I mean, they even made Zelda games, right? Capcom sure. does, has done great stuff. Sure. But when you look at it, DuckTales, while it's an American cartoon, was animated by a Japanese film house. So it's, it's, very, it's very cool to see how a, a Japanese developer was so significant in kind of driving this whole, this whole thing home. And DuckTales, the game actually comes out very late in the life of the TV show, very close to the end when the TV show wraps up in probably early 1990 and the the DuckTales game comes out in late 1989. And unlike a lot of other projects, like let's go ahead and say the Simpsons arcade game, DuckTales is actually, you actually had a, a wide breadth of knowledge and the show was mostly done by the time this game comes out, which Mm -hmm. is not something you always see with a licensed project. You want to capitalize on the timing. I would say that what really makes this a home run as far as a DuckTales game, it, they, they really nail the music and the artwork. Mm-hmm. So I think if you were a young kid or even an adult who enjoyed it as a kid, I think you immediately see the artwork back in you know, 1989, 1990. If you look at it back then, it has the colors and it accurately portrays what the characters look like in your head. Well, based on the limited color palette that the NES has when compared to, you know, something like the Super Nintendo, you know, mm-hmm. Scrooge looks like Scrooge. Mm-hmm. That's important. 
his colors reflect what it should be. I mean, I don't think Scrooge has a red coat, but <laughs> when you're limited with a color palette, you know, they really made the character look really great. And uh, Inafune is, is wonderful. He does mm-hmm. some really great stuff, obviously Mega Man or yep. from Mega Man 2 onward. He's, he's, he's brilliant. And if you look at the, the Famicom art for DuckTales, it's, it's great. It's great because it has all those monster designs and stuff like that on the box art that Inafune also worked on. And they nail that. They nail the, the feel. Now, granted, yeah, it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really follow the plot of the show, but it does have that feel that you're going on this adventure, that you're going to these strange places, you're collecting treasure, using treasure to your benefit, you're hanging on on launch pads, helicopter or uh, biplane or whatever mm-hmm. he's flying around in. And the characters are all there. And that's important. You know, you save the nephews or, or I guess they're his great nephews, <laughs> Donald's nephews. Sadly, Donald doesn't show up in this game. Unfortunately. Um, because, you know, he just would show up and not heal you anyway. So, <laughs> so, yeah, it's nice to see that there was respect given to what the characters look like. You know, how many, how many games would you play that, that were based on a license? And you're like, uh, why is Batman purple? Well, you're right. I mean, even talking back about Silver Surfer and Wolverine, these mm-hmm. games were barely recognizable as the characters that you are playing so when you look at a game like ducktales i think you look at the game and you go all right it's it's vibrant it's colorful the characters for an 8-bit limited artwork that you can do it really portrays pretty good character uh, detail i agree 100 percent. and i also think that this is this is this has the benefit of being a rather late NES title. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you're talking about NES games, when you're getting into the very late 80s, because this is essentially 1990 at this sure. point when this game releases, when you're getting into the very late 80s and the early to early mid 90s, you're really getting some really nice NES stuff to the point where if you didn't get a Super Nintendo in 1991 it might not have been that big of a deal because the NES games coming out at that point in time were so good yep. and so much more detailed and great to look at and listen to late in the life of the, of the NES versus, you know, early NES, which was, you know, still very much arcade ports. Yeah. I would say that what they were able to do late in the NES lifespan is really impressive. And this game, it's artwork. I would say even it's music is top tier when you talk about really nes good. games and some of them really have some memorable themes and and music that plays throughout the stages but i would say the music in this game is just about if you want to make a top 10 list this would be up there as far as nes games and memorable music i think so i think it's got some really great stuff obviously the moon track is the one that kind of stands yep. out for everyone absolutely that's one of the one of the best and most classic uh video game songs of this era uh, they even to the point where they used it in the new cartoon, which is really cool. Uh, Della Duck sings it to the kids. And it's one of those things where it's like, music is very important to these games because you don't hear voices, right? So you need music that is rem- memorable, catchy, but like doesn't get annoying. Well, that's the thing. It's you hard. don't want it to be annoying because they play it almost in a loop. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you want to make sure that it's catchy enough, it's entertaining enough. And if you put the controller down. You're going to listen to it for five, 10 minutes straight. You want to make sure it's not super annoying. Exactly. And that's really a testament. And that's something that makes video game music writing so difficult, I think, because it's like, well, you have like a one to two minute loop of this song that you have to play over and over and over and over and over again, and make sure your audience doesn't want to murder your t- their TV. <laughs> 
So it's, it's important to know that, you know, it's important to know that. And this game really, really hits a home run with that. What's hilarious. And like, I mean, uh, maybe not hilarious is not the right word. What's, what's really intriguing about this is the composer on DuckTales didn't really do much else after this. He did a couple of things. I looked them up because I'm always interested in com- who composes the music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, what else? What long history of video games did this composer work on? And really, there's not too much after yeah. DuckTales or before it. It's not like, you know, this wasn't like a Koji Kondo or a, right. or a Yoko Shimomura who was just like, yeah, I did the music for Street Fighter 2. And then I went and did the music for Super Mario RPG. And then I did the music for Kingdom Hearts. It wasn't like that long lo- right. list of like... Which you usually find. Murderers, you look, right? in a company like Capcom, you usually find guys that they've used over and over again. Yeah, and they keep going back to the same people because, you know, they trust them. And also, I, I, I was at a panel at MAGFest last year where totally forget her name and it's it's going to drive me crazy but she was a, an important composer on Mega Man 3. Oh wow. And she said that you know they had their had their composer group there that would get together and they would work on songs and what's funny is is these game developers and these composers don't realize that there's an audience for their music. When she was giving her her panel she was like I had no idea Mega Man was a huge hit over in the states. None of us knew. We just kept writing music. And, or Rockman, as, as they say. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or Rockman, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, over there. And, and yeah, no, she's, she was like, I had no idea. I had no idea that people love this stuff. And it's, she goes, it's really, really nice to hear 30 years later that Gemini Man's theme is a huge hit. <laughs> so it's one of those things where it's so important. And I always have felt, and maybe this is because I'm a musician, I have a soft, soft spot in my heart for music of all <laughs> styles. Video game music is one of those things that's like, I don't want to say it's a thankless job. I'd say it's underappreciated. The amount of work that gets put into writing good video game music is just as important as the amount of work that gets put into any composition. Well, when people talked about, you know, Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, one of, I think it's arguably or just one of the greatest games of all time. Yeah. People talk about the lack of significant music as one of the downsides to that game. And people, there is some subtle, you know, sound effects and there are some subtle undertones and and scores here and there, but it's not what you expect from a Legend of Zelda game. And when you think back to DuckTales and Mario, Super Mario, and some games that just have famous, noteworthy music, you you think back and you think, it's, it's a lot of time it's just background noise, but a good background noise can really make the difference between you know, just the focus of the gameplay can really elevate a, a game. I, I think so. I think it, it gets the blood pumping. It gets the energy moving. It's something that you can kind of nod your head along with while you're playing and actually kind of listen to it actively while you're playing. Breath of the Wild is a very unique case where I appreciate it for how empty and quiet it feels because you're in a world that's, you know, been destroyed. But we could talk about that another time. Of course. But I don't know if I would want the Zelda theme blaring nonstop while I was playing Breath of the Wild. I actually like the subtlety. I like while you're roaming quiet. hours and hours in, in the woods. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> like I don't need that that theme blaring while I'm trying to find Korok seeds for twelve hours straight. But in DuckTales, no, of those. no, no, Jesus. So, Mike, I would say that the artwork and the music are really what nail what you expect from a DuckTales game. But I would say it's the gameplay and the tight controls that make this game replayable and fun. Well, when you've come out with one of the best 
2D platformers of all time a year earlier. It's easy to, and I, when I say best, I don't mean DuckTales isn't in that list. I just mean like, if I'm bringing you the top NES pro, uh, platformers outside of Mario games, like Mega Man 2 is probably the next one. And when you come out with that a year earlier, after learning all the mistakes that you had made with the first Mega Man and how to expand upon that, you make Mega Man 2, which is to me very, it's almost perfect mm-hmm. in what it's trying to accomplish. You're building DuckTales on that infrastructure. So you have that team working, or at least parts of that team working on this game. So a lot of that DNA crosses over. Oh, absolutely. DuckTales say- feels like it. I would say the stages, the platforming, a lot of what you see and feel in that game is directly inspired by, and like you said, the foundation is there, but I would say what they added in was this pogo stick, which as you stated earlier, is not necessarily what you, what you see when you watch the TV show. You're not watching him jump from enemy to enemy or character to character, but it makes for a, a, just enough of a twist of a gameplay element off of Mega Man to make it just fun and rewarding every time you bounce off someone. Yeah, it's something that, you know, was refined much, much later. I I mean, pogoing doesn't really come back until Shovel Knight in 2014. You're right. And obviously that was DuckTales or NES games in general. DuckTales being one of them was a heavy influence on Shovel Knight. And the pogo action from DuckTales is pretty much what gives Shovel Knight his bounce. So it's something that that was was really remarkable. It's one of the only games that really does it from my memory, as opposed to like uh, just jumping on an enemy. It makes it more difficult because Absolutely. it does require a little bit more sophistication in how in which you control uh, Scrooge. But in the end, it's it's really like only on this game. It's what makes this game very, very unique is your ability to traverse these kind of corridors and things like that and avoid spikes. And it's, it's, it's a very fun way of transportation, but it's also a fun attack. And at this point in time, it's interesting to have a platformer where the lead character either doesn't jump on anyone's head with their feet or shoot them. So it's, it's almost like, I don't know if there was a backroom discussion where it was like, yeah, we're going to make a DuckTales game, but Disney says it has to be as nonviolent as possible. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that actually happened, but, you know, Disney does like to have input on stuff like this. You know, they sure. don't want their characters well, I think there's two things. to punch people. Yeah, well, I think there's two things that you hit upon there. One is the difficulty. Some would argue that this game was too easy and that it could be beaten in one playthrough in a short amount of time. Sure. And then I'd see other reviews that said that this game was challenging and difficult and you'd have to learn the mechanics and play it over and over again to figure things out. So I found that interesting that two different views off of based on the difficulty or challenge of the, challenge of the game. Well, maybe if you're a Nintendo game counselor, you know, in Washington State in 1989, it's easy. <laughs> but I've, I, when I played it, I played it on normal. And when I played it recently, I played it on normal. Uh, and I play mine on a, on a CRT TV on original hardware, so I have no excuses with input lag or delay or anything like that. I did notice that sometimes, and this could have been my lack of skill, or this could just be, you know, an issue with the game. Obviously, if there was ever a problem with the game in those days, they were never able to be fixed. 
I'm sometimes no, no patches to... and updates back. No then. patches, updates. You know, no day one, ninety gig update on my PlayStation. Yeah, right. I want to play this game tonight. Nope, you'll be uh, playing no, tomorrow night. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, well, you got to up. You got to update the system first, and you got to update the game, <laughs> and you got to load the game onto the console. With uh, Ducktales, you know, sometimes the pogo doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the cane doesn't, like the whole down B cane thing doesn't work. Sometimes you don't swing it. And, you know, that kind of gives it a little bit of that Skyrim-style charm. Yep. But in the end, and for the most part, it's pretty tight. Um, I, I, get, I, I only got a little annoyed at some of the enemy respawn rates mm-hmm. um, because at this point in time, you know, there was a real push against rentals. So make the game super challenging so that people can't beat it on a rental right. over the weekend. And some of, the, some, of the, some of the enemies' movements are a little frustrating, especially the bees in the Amazon stage with the sign curve, like the Medusa heads out of Castlevania. But, you know, in general, that's kind of what made these games what they were, right? So it was not only that, the challenge, but I think you hit on it before, as you said, navigating corridors. Yeah. This game encouraged exploration. Yeah. I would, I would probably not put it in the Metroidvania category, not quite. No, it's definitely not a Metroid, but it's something that it has, it encourages explanation. And there's yeah. obviously he loves his gold and he wants to find his money and they do encourage you to get as much of that as you can. But there's definitely, they encourage you to replay levels and to find different things you didn't find the first time. Well, it's crazy, right? So you like, you go to the Amazon, it's like, Hey, you need to pay $30,000 to get past this point. And if you don't have it, you have to go to another stage and get it. So it's cool to like jump back and forth. And that's something that would follow Capcom with these 2D platformers for a long time. And having secrets and stuff like that. And it's light on secrets in general. Uh, For the time, it actually had its fair share of little secrets and puzzles and stuff like that. Like you said, it's no Metroid, Mm -hmm. but it's close. It's, It's starting to get there. It's getting to the point where it's like, well, what can we do with the NES, right? Well, a couple, before we finish up DuckTales, I just wanted to, uh, throw a couple things out here that I found interesting. Uh, DuckTales was a huge commercial success on the, like some people call it the NES. I've always been a Nintendo or Nintendo Entertainment System guy, but for those that call it a NES, uh, it sold approximately 1.67 million copies worldwide, becoming Capcom's highest selling title on the NES. Which makes sense, right? I mean, it was surprising to me being that you have the Mega Man series and Capcom was not shy about making games. So oh. they were definitely heavy hitters back then, but it surprised me that DuckTales was the number one selling game on the NES. DuckTales was a big deal on TV, right? The Disney afternoon was a huge deal. Saturday morning cartoons were still really, really popular. It makes perfect sense to me. This is a holiday gift for every kid in 1989 and 1990 and probably even 1991. It's like, oh, I, my kids love DuckTales. Like you said, parents go into a store, they see DuckTales, they know what to get. Mega Man, you know, you got this weird looking dude <laughs> on a cover shooting a gun at someone. I could see someone going like, ah, I don't know if I want my kids playing this because video game violence will clearly pollute their minds and turn them into maniacs. But they can, ha- they can hang with Scrooge McDuck, right? <laughs> Scrooge McDuck's all right. He's, he's friendly. He's family friendly, right? He's family There's nothing friendly. wrong here. No, he's got a pogo gonna, stick. That's it. Yeah, that's it. He's, he's only going to, you know, hit, well, fight, that, fight mummies. What I would say then is if someone wanted to play this game today, if they could not Tough. get a original Nintendo copy and head, hook up an NES to play this game, it has been remastered back in 2013 for, mm-hmm. at that time, the current gen to so the PS3, Xbox 360, 
the Wii U, and the PC. And then in 2015, for the iOS, Android, and for Windows phones. Yeah, and it's still on Steam, which is a good thing. So it hasn't been delisted <laughs> yet like a lot of weird licensed projects have been. Uh, especially, you know, X-Men has been delisted and Simpsons was delisted and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World was delisted oh. for a long time. So it's one of those things where it's like, it's still there. You can still get it on Steam, which which is great. It was part of the Disney Afternoon Collection. With I'm, I'm happy you said that. So that's the way to play it in its original form today yeah. mm-hmm. is in the Disney Afternoon Collection, which you can find on the PC, the PS4, and the Xbox One, which along with a few other charming games from that time. I also think the remastered version of this game, I think it comes with the original. I think you get both in the package. I might be wrong about that. I might have to look, that, look into that. I know I had both on whatever console I bought it for. It just always feels very strange for me to play an NES game on a PlayStation. Like it, 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 it drives me crazy because it just doesn't make any sense to, my, to, my men- to me. It makes no sense to me. I think it's great that people have access to it. I, I yeah, think absolutely. it's very important. But as someone who was just like, no, you played this on a, on a, on a rectangular controller that hurt your hands. <laughs> as a video game purist, I can understand when yeah. certain franchises came to other consoles, I always said, What's Final Fantasy doing on Xbox? There's always been some funny things. <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, I will say this much. I, when I play Final Fantasy VII on my Switch with a, with a Super Nintendo-style controller, I feel like it's, it's some sort of like vindication of <laughs> years of being upset about that move. It was so close to having all those games on the N64. We were this close. It's so close to having it. I mean, it's so close to the PlayStation being a Nintendo brand, right? So, so close. I've seen the Nintendo PlayStation, um, but, you know, what can you do? (laughs) To hold it in in person, it would cost you an arm and a leg, though. To actually own it, yes. We had it at a convention a few years ago, so you can see it. That guy goes around with it. It's cool. So, Mike, did you have any last talking points about the classic and lo- beloved DuckTales on the Nintendo? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a great game. Uh, I think nowadays, now that DuckTales is something that's back in the cultural ether, I think it's cool that there's a game there that people can play, and they can play a game with Scrooge McDuck, and it's simple enough to get into. It won't frustrate you too bad. The remastered edition will, by way forward, who is a wonderful company who does really, really great things with remastering old games and does great stuff with projects of their own they do a wonderful job with the remaster on this and it's something that is success accessible which is great it's not that expensive if you want to get it on you know steam or one of these other consoles and in the end it's it's definitely something that is a piece of history it shows you how good a licensed game can be and i think that's very important because like i said they're hit or miss and they can be hit or miss so it's really nice to have a game that is licensed, but is still its own thing and still very, very good and memorable music forever. Well, I think that's what you said there. You hit the nail on the head in that this was a game from 1989 that has aged well. If you load it up today, this is still a playable game mm-hmm. that I think anyone can enjoy. Yeah, and I agree. In 2008, when Nintendo Power would list DuckTales as the 13th best Nintendo game of all time, I do not think... I think they're right there. I think that, you know, it's, it's hard to list the best games on the Nintendo Entertainment System, but I'd say number yeah, is. 13 is a strong, strong showing. Yeah, I think it would be really difficult to put DuckTales in the top 10 on the NES. Not saying that it's bad. It's just the NES just had so many 
hit after hit after hit. But Correct. that sounds like a good spot for it when you're talking about the NES library. You know, it's definitely one of the top platformers on the NES. But once you start getting stuff like like Zelda in there and uh, and Final Fantasy and, and Castlevania, it's one of those things where it's just like, okay, it could, it could on some list find its way into the top 10 on the NES, but it also right outside of the top 10 seems like a really good spot for this game. Yeah, I think I'd have trouble uh, arguing it either higher or lower on that list. Yeah. I think that's fair. Like just out of that, like, you know, S tier, right? It's like, it's, an, it's a very A, A plus tier game. But it definitely takes a place in our Hall of Fame mm-hmm. as a classic, as a great game from its time and a game that is still great to this day. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to get into our second topic today, which is the beloved, especially by myself, Mega Man X for the Super Nintendo, released in 1993 in December, and also, like our previous discussion, developed by Capcom. Mike, when you hear Mega Man X, what first comes to mind? Oh, man. It's hard for me to give you an immediate response (laughs) because it's like all of it comes to mind immediately. It's... Mega Man X is a very special game for me. And full disclosure to anyone out there on the internet land who's listening to this, I think Mega Man X, and this is a bold statement, I think Mega Man X is the best Mega Man game. I they, think they're already that, adding you. They're already making lists. And they're I say, already... <laughs> I, I say, come at it. Let the heat flow. Th- let the hate flow through you because I will prove you wrong at every step of the way. I think Mega Man X is actually the best Mega Man game. Uh, it's my... Like it's in my top five favorite games of all time. I think it might be as close to the top as number three. I used to put it lower, but then I've realized like anytime I want to sit down and play a Mega Man game start to finish, I always pick Mega Man X. So what is it? What makes Mega Man X to this day so easily accessible, an instant Hall of Fame title we can both agree on, a personal favorite for both of us? What is it? It's so the Mega Man games are, are lovely. At least the, the the two and three are really really good. Uh, Mega Man two and three are like probably the tops of that era of the of the NES. After that, they kind of got annualized, right? So they kind of went through that whole weird situation where, all right, it's a new Mega Man comes out every year. There's really not that much difference, you know. Obviously, you got the charge shot in Mega Man four. You have roll. Uh, you have rush in Mega Man three. And then as you go further on with like Mega Man 5 and 6, it kind of is like, okay, okay. And they tried to like add more and more to it. But Mega Man X is something that felt like the right jump from the original NES games to the Super Nintendo or the SNES. There's a certain level of sophistication. There's a certain level of ease about it. It's not incredibly hard it's not incredibly easy it's incredibly accessible it challenges you just enough to where you think you can keep coming back and getting a little further it made the secrets very important and this is something secrets started showing up with the Mega Man games I think in like Mega Man 4 and then obviously carried on through like 5 and 6 with all like the beat stuff and getting the special armors and all that jazz and Mega Man X and Mega Man 6 were from what I can imagine, developed around the same time because they only came out like a month apart. So this felt like the Super Nintendo jump. And I'm a Super Nintendo guy, right? Super Nintendo is my favorite console. And 
this was the right game for the time. It felt like Mega Man had matured a little bit in all of the right ways. And I don't just mean in tone. I'm not one of those people who's like, it needs to be dark and gritty all the time. It's like, no. But Mega Man is goofy. The original games are silly. He's a silly little robot kid fighting a bunch of, you know, goofy, googly-eyed robots. And I love that about it. But there was something about Mega Man X that was like, cool, we're going to ramp up the, the vibe. It's going to feel like their stakes are, the stakes are definitely heightened. The villain is scary. He's not like a goofy old scientist, you know? And it's, it feels like a world that you're traversing. It doesn't feel like stages. Even when you look at the map, you can see where all the Mavericks headquarters are and you can move around the map and you can do all this stuff. So I think what makes Mega Man X really great is that it just, it just, it perfects everything the original games did while taking nothing away and at the same time adding some of the most important aspects to the platforming genre that we've seen since. There's stuff in Mega Man X that is used in almost every platformer now, whether it's a dash move, which, you know, great. That's great. How many games use a dash? You know, you see that in everything from Symphony of the Night to stuff that they make now. And wall kicks, Wall kicks and wall jumps have become very important to almost every platformer and every like game that's kind of somewhat related to a platformer, whether it be, you know, a Metroid like or a Metroidvania or just a regular platforming game. So like Mega Man X kind of brings a lot to the table. The soundtrack is unbelievably good. Um, those SNES samples are just, are just cranking. They're cranking like crazy, those guitar samples, and it shreds, and it's, it's heavy metal-ish. It's got, it's got electronic music in it. It just feels like the right game at the right time for like the radical, um, high-intensity, extreme 90s. It really felt like Mega Man just found his place in this game, and there's stuff to find, and you could get better at it, like upgrading the armor. It feels like, or, or getting your heart tanks all the way, or getting all the sub-tanks, getting the Hadouken, right? Mm -hmm. These are all things that the game has secrets. It has things that it wants you to spend time with. And it just, Mega Man has never felt this good before or after. To, and the only, unfortunately, and this might also be a controversial opinion, I really think that there are two good Mega Man X games. Um, and I think X, X and X4, well, uh, let's say three. X and X2, are, X2 is pretty good. X4 is actually very good. And the rest of them are like, eh, and X is amazing. I, I think agree. X is on a, on a tier higher than the rest. I think most people would agree that the X series in general is not as strong as the Mega Man series. I'd say this was originally, there's a lot to unravel from what you said there. I'd say some of the talking points are this was a natural evolution from the original series. I think they evolved it, matured the character. As you said, he was a boy running around, which was cute and charming. But this, he feels more serious. This feels like a man here taking upon uh, these robots. And yes. the 16-bit graphics, the 16-bit art style, I think allows it to flourish. The artwork to this day, the backdrops, the characters, the enemies, they are beautiful. Yeah. I, I think the are. artwork in this series, uh, in Mega Man X, this one specifically, is really jaw-dropping. But I would say, yeah, they, this series has gone from a silly, uh, 
cartoon-esque. You saw the cover art of some of the original Mega Man games. Oh, forget it. They're terrible. They're awful. I mean, I love Mega Man 2 and 3 and all these games to death, but the artwork is comical. Well, even, even in Mega Man X, right, it, it was showing the it's, the, it's a transition to seeing, like, it almost looks like the game. Like, he mm-hmm. still has, like, the weird rosy cheeks and all that stuff, and it's still, like, very American in the way it's designed, like the box art for Mega Man X. But this was a point in time where, you know, video game developers were starting to be more okay with game art and box art looking like it's Japanese counterparts. They didn't have to be afraid of it as much anymore. Well, there was some confusion upon its release because X normally people would think is 10. So originally when this was released, there was some confusion uh, initially from people that are not, I guess, as uh, involved in the day-to-day and week-to-week game releases. There was a lot of confusion that this is this the 10th game in the series. What's going on? And when they originally started to design Mega Man X, they didn't want to create the main character as Mega Man. No, it's a different guy, right? It's a different robot. It's a different robot, correct. And the fan favorite from the Mega Man series, I think we'd all say who becomes playable in some of the later games, he really takes the spotlight. Zero, who I'm talking about. Zero is, he is so cool. And when you first see him in the introductory level just show up and save the day, you're like, this guy's awesome. That guy is just dripping with, 90s enthusiasm 90s cool you he's know not, he's just yeah he's just dripping he's, with everything we loved and, and hate about the 90s and, and he's like his he's like x's proto-man even though proto-man apparently still actually exists in this this universe from what i've read i have no idea proto-man kind of just left and went away uh, but zero has the you know instead of the the yellow scarf he's got the long blonde hair yeah uh, got that you know, red that bright that red, red red armor and the lightsaber and he's got a sword right it's like a so, sword but it looks like a saber it's almost. a yeah. yeah it's like a lightsaber I mean, come on. <laughs> we're not we're not pulling punches here it's absolutely <laughs> yeah a let's call a spade a spade exactly so they were definitely going after that whole i mean who doesn't who doesn't love star wars at that point in time especially right so it's one of those things where it was a natural maturity that was brought to the series without losing what it did well. And that's run and gun and being able to charge up your special weapons and being able to add that complexity to everything that you did. The fact that you would go back, go back to stages and you'd be rewarded for exploring them. It's very important to have that in a platformer and at a time where platformers were just, you run to the right. Well, what this did different than the original Mega Man series, yes, we all know that you can play any of the enemies in any order. That's been since the original Mega Man, you could do that. Yes, you can gain the ability of the boss that you defeat. Yes. That's also been around since Mega Man's begun. Yes. But what I think made Mega Man X special for me, and I think you hit on it before, is the upgrades that you get throughout the levels, which not only change his abilities, but also change his look in the game. Never before do yeah. I remember a Mega Man game, besides when you use the boss ability, did the base Mega Man change? And when you get his different abilities, the, you know, the dash and the rock climb, as you the rock wall thing, mm-hmm. he visually had a different look to his armor and it yeah. was cool. And it wasn't just, it, you know, there were upgrades that weren't just abilities. And these upgrades, you know, they, 
made you hardier in combat. They gave you the dash. You could break things with your head. You can charge your special weapons, which happened a little bit here and there <laughs> in the Mega Man games, but it didn't happen. It hadn't really happened that much. Like you could charge Heat Man's ability up, or I think Feral Man had a charge ability. Yeah, charging the boss's abilities gave a whole new element strategically. And it- and just giving you new attacks and new options. New, new attacks, new things you could do. It made it more fun to fight the other robots. Uh, and it was made it more fun to figure out like what people were weak against or what the Mavericks were weak against. And each stage is its own unique thing. What also always makes me love Mega Man X the most is that beating a boss will affect another stage. If you beat Chill Penguin, the Chill fire... first, right? Yeah, you, always. If you beat <laughs> Chill Penguin, the, the lava in Flame Mammoth stage, ice is over. If you beat Storm Eagle, his plane crashes into Spark Mandrel stage and makes, makes part of it easier. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to see that, hey, we're building a world here and we're going to show it to you through these 2D stages. And while, yes, you're moving left to right and sometimes up and sometimes down, it's nice to see that your actions have impact in other places where not many video games at that time had done that. And especially not many platformers have done that except for maybe, you know, finding secret stages or whatnot <laughs> in like Super Mario world. And with Mega Man X, not only did you have all these great abilities, but I feel like the villains and the bosses were so cool. They were so different. Not it's, just the they bosses, got rid of man. but also, also the mini bosses, which also uh, were prevalent in a lot of the levels. You know, yes. these levels, as you said, you know, the Eagles level where your your verticality, you're actually climbing yeah. up in some areas. In certain levels, you're underground. You're getting robo suits in some of these. You're jumping in these robo suits, and, and you're kind of like a, a big robo. So it's 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 the mech suit. Yeah. So there's some really really unique and creative ideas that they put into these levels the enemies something about it just felt so fresh at the time and it still does and you know like when it just it's a fast moving fun bouncy game it doesn't really take too much time to get right to it and the mavericks are great their names are ridiculous but man, are they great. Those sprites are so good. Well, I think we can agree by, I think it was X4, or X5. Some of them get a little ridiculous. Once you're talking about like... There's oh, a geez. garbage guy in there. I played them all, but... There's definitely a trash man in yeah. there somewhere. But like when you get into like Optic Sunflower <laughs> or like Fire Rooster... You could tell they were, they were definitely reaching. Yeah, exactly. They were trying. But it was cool to get away from the whole like something man thing. <laughs> and while... While they are a little ridiculous, these animal-themed robots, I really love the work that they did with them. I love the sprites. I love how the special abilities you get from them not only damage the enemies differently, but they actually can impact them. Like if you shoot Armored Armadillo with the, the electric spark, he actually loses his armor. Or if you freeze Spark Mandrel, he actually freezes. He actually freezes. And they're big and they're and they're scary you know yeah i think uh, the size is a great point because when we think back to mega man one two three most of these enemies were not much larger than mega man himself no but when you think about mega man x and you think about the size and you got the lizard who's swinging around the top of think chameleon the chameleon of course when he's swinging around the top shooting his 
you know, his three green things stitchy and you're dodging them and chill penguins sliding across the ground from side to side. So the, the bosses, but somehow we've managed to discuss the greatness of this game, not even touch upon the music. So good. Uh, like, like I said earlier, the, the, any, the SNES sound chip, which sound, the, what they use for sound on the SNES was all sample based. So, you know, each game kind of had its own thing. It wasn't like the Genesis that had a, you know, a sound driver built onto it. Like, right. a, you know, the Yamaha, whatever the, um, the, uh, the synth, Yamaha synthesizer um, chip. Uh, the NES, the SNES, you know, you had to sample stuff. So those guitar samples are like really shreddy. And when SNES music is great, it's, it's like amazingly good. And when it's bad, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> um, but they got the guitars right. They got all the stuff right. All the samples sounded really great. All the drum hits are really, really good. And it's, and it's it, right from the opening theme, right from yeah, the introductory level. Right from that highway. You get the highway. They jump you right into it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't remember a Mega Man game from the past where you start the game uh, prior to this one and you're in it. I don't think so. I think from my memory, I feel like other Mega Man games did it after this one. Yes. Um, but this was the first one where it's like, there's an intro stage where you will fight a boss and he's a purple Boba Fett. <laughs> and, you know, you get beat, which is great. You know, it, it, it's, now it's become kind of cliche. It's like, oh yeah, the boss that you have to fight later on in the game will beat you earlier in the game. That's like, okay, yeah, we get that. That happens, you know, once a but week. But it was so cool the first time around when you face a boss that you just can't beat. You're going to lose no matter what. And I no played what? that game, that instructing level, hundreds of times. And you know what? I say, you know what? I'm going to dodge a little more this time. I'm going to stick around a little bit longer. But you know what? Vile will always get you. You're going to go down, and then he's going to jump down and slice off that arm, right? Yeah. Which is, which is great. And it's cool too, because, you know, you've end up fighting Vile later on in the game. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a really great segment in Sigma's castle. And Sigma is such a different villain than Dr. Wily. He's kind of scary. He's a, a giant, you know, maverick reploid. And he, he too has a lightsaber and a dog <laughs> and then a giant dog robot that you have to uh, shoot him with, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him in. With a really, you know, for years and years and years, that last boss fight really was a, was a challenge and something that was very, very difficult for me to do. But I've actually kind of gotten decent. And by decent, I mean like moderately decent at being able to speed run this game. So I usually can finish Mega Man X in about an hour, which, you know, is about double the speed run record. Yeah, I can picture it all right now in my head. I know after you defeat, defeat the dog, you face, you know, you, he's got his big head in the middle and the arms yep. are kind of over and you got to climb up and jump up. And, and the first, you know, bunch of times I played that, it is quite challenging. That's probably the most difficult boss of the game. It's by far, you know, it, I remember being a kid and kind of breezing through most of the game and then you get up to, you know, you fight, you fight, his, you fight the dog. And I always forget the dog's name. You fight his dog <laughs> and then you fight Sigma but Sigma's not that bad because you can just jump up into the left-hand corner. He's got a shoot. saber as well, correct? Yeah, he does like a zigzag pattern. Yeah, you can just jump yeah, up in yeah. the corner and He's shoot not him. not too the, difficult. No, you shoot him with the chameleon sting and it goes away pretty quickly. But then you have the final Sigma when his head, you know, goes into that robot, uh, the giant wolf robot. And he's got like five different attacks. 
and you have to hit them with the rolling shield that's hard to aim and you know you got to use these platforms that are coming at you and shooting lightning and he shoots giant lightning bolts at you and fire and it's crazy <laughs> it's everything a last ball should be but once you get the pattern down like after you've played it a thousand times you understand yeah. that there is a pattern there you really can you know just exploit it and take advantage of it but in the end it's it's something that feels like it's a really tight compact experience that a lot of other platformers at this time and even before it really kind of got away from it. I think Mega Man is really tight. I, uh, Mega Man X is really, really tight. I think it's something that you get in, you, you rush through the game. There's a lot of stuff to collect, but none of it takes you that far out of it. It's pretty much just go, 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 get all your stuff, get powered up, fight your Sigma stages. If you want to get the Hadouken <laughs> and then you're good. Which I didn't know existed until years later. Somehow that, that escaped me. Oh but my gosh. Yeah. And, and you know what? It really upset me when they put it on the PS2 and they took out the voice sample, but luckily when they put it on the switch and the PS4 and PC uh, a year or two ago, they put it back in mm -hmm. and on the uh, SNES classic, they also have that voice sample in. So, you know, if you want to hear uh, Mega Man X or X as he's known in the games, <laughs> say Hadouken, which I, I won't spoil for you now. You can look it up or play the game. That's back. a great homage to Street Fighter, of course, of another course. Capcom favorite. To so, the fact where Dr. Light's wearing a Ryu costume. <laughs> so as you said, this game is playable still across many different, yeah. different consoles and different places. Just to list a couple, this was ported to the PC and mobile device. Yeah. I would not recommend the mobile device. I bought it just because I just feel every time this game is released, I have to give them my money. Um, but, yeah, no, I totally get that. I think it was actually released on the PC back in the 90s too. Yes, and it yes. was, yeah, it was also released on the PC, but man, this thing's on everything. Oh, they, I mean, they did the Mega Man X collections on the GameCube, which is an awesome collection. It's got some really cool stuff there on the mm -hmm. PS2, then on the uh, virtual console, as you said, so you can play this on the, on the virtual console back on the, the Wii and Wii U, on the 3DS as well on the, the virtual console, as well as they made a remake on the PSP called Mega Man Maverick Hunter X. Yes, uh, the PSP version is very different in terms of the, the order and how you get the items. So it's a little confusing for someone who's like a Mega Man X um, connoisseur. <laughs> yeah, someone who's someone who's very experienced with it. It's 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 different. It's very different, but it looks cool, and I really enjoyed it when I played it on the PSP. It came out around the same time as uh, Mega Man Powered Up, so they were kind of just remaking Mega Man X and Mega right. Man Powered Up was the original Mega Man, correct? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, the original Mega Man with two extra bosses. So they were kind of remaking those first two games so that they could, you know. I guess bring them to a new generation. It's actually kind of a bummer that with all the remakes going around these days that Mega Man X hasn't been remade in a high def, high def 2D platformer style. Like I think a, game, a company like WayForward would actually do a really nice job with a game like Mega Man X. Well, I know it's a whole separate conversation talking about 3D Mega Mans and even the newest Mega Man that came out, which has, I'd say a more 3D... Uh, looking yeah it's like a 2.5 yeah it's like kind of call it two and a half d i think it could get that kind of refresh potentially but i just think this game has, has aged so well that i don't know that it needs much you know you can take most old games from our past and say oh this could use this update this could use this this is one of those games it just feels perfect no it definitely does feel perfect the way it is and while i am someone who's always it gets excited about remakes and things like that it doesn't really need it um, this game is super accessible. It's everywhere. 
you can play it. It's really good still. Like it's still really good. And it has withstood the, te- with, uh, withstood the test of time. I played this game, you know, twice at MAGFest last year, <laughs> just in their free play area on back-to-back nights. And I've played it two or three times since then. And it just feels right. It's just such a great package of everything that makes Mega Man games good. Everything that makes Mega Man games good. Well, I think it's like you said, this game is so easy to pick up and play. Mm-hmm. So if you have, you can have 20 minutes to play and this game is so easy to jump into. It is also on the Switch. So you yep. can get the Mega Man X collection there. It's also, as you said, on the SNES Classic, which I agree is one of the, may probably the best console of all time. So <laughs> the SNES Classic is, uh, features Mega Man X on there. So you can pick up and play this in a number of spots. And if you have not played this game yet, you are really doing yourself a disjustice, a disservice, because this game, Nintendo Power, as I spoke about earlier, um, they rank this number 58 in the 100 best Nintendo games of all time. So you're talking That's about pretty all good. Nintendo games of all time. They put it at number 58, and it's hard to argue its place in history and across Nintendo, across all platforms. This game uh, really is unique. There's a reason why it keeps getting put on these collections, right? It's, there's a reason why these collections keep getting made. Yes, obviously they sell. There's a lot of Mega Man fans out there. But this one's really good. This one's like really specially special. It's very good in a very special way. And I'm not talking hyperbolically here it's when I say it's probably one of the best 2D, uh, 16-bit 2D platformers of the time. It, it does everything that Sonic the Hedgehog was trying to do (laughs) without some of the pitfalls that Sonic fell into. Yeah, I think people underestimate how challenging it is to make a good platformer because they say, oh, Mario did it back in the 80s. How hard could it be? But there are more bad platformers than there are good. Especially from the 80s. Absolutely. And as you said, this was success. This was a huge success. The original NES copy sold 1.16 million copies worldwide. I'm making it the 41st best-selling Capcom game of all time, actually. So this, this game continues to sell to this day. Re-releases of this game and collections and here and there. And I hope this game continues to sell going forward. I, yeah, I think this is an important, this game has an important place in history as to, obviously, for what it brought to platforming with, you know, your dash moves, your wall kicks, your stuff like that but also as just like a, a lesson in game design on how to make a 2D platformer that's not a Mario-style 2D platformer, mm-hmm. right? It's got speed, you shoot stuff, yep. it all works very, very well. There's some slowdown. I mean, obviously, you're going to get with that with all the sprites on the screen. Well, especially I would when say, you- as you said earlier, the previous game we discussed, DuckTales, was, in, was later inspired, and we feel Shovel Knight is a pretty good recreation of that gameplay and mechanics. I would say, and I was thinking about this earlier, I would say Cuphead is yeah. a great modern uh, interpretation of the Mega Man and Mega Man X formula because of the abilities and the gameplay strictly. Now, of course, there's a lot of different things that make Cuphead unique, but I think it takes what Mega Man X does really well, which is shooting, platforming, and boss design. Yeah. And uh, it's hard to think of too many other games that do what Mega Man X does really well after this. No, it's, it's really not. It's, it's like, you know, Cuphead wouldn't exist without Mega Man and Contra. So it's, and they, and these, and Mega Man X and Contra, you know, the Alien Wars were kind of around the same time on the SNES. And these two games are very, very important to 
what running gun platformers are really all about. So in the end, I don't think there has been a 2D plat too many too, too many. There have been other 2D platformers that have been really significant. I mean, Shovel Knight is one of them. Uh, I understand that it it does borrow from a lot of different places, but so did Mega Man X. Um, so did Super Mario World. So it's one of those things where yeah, it's not Super Mario World, right? It's it's not. Uh, nothing is to be to be honest. Nothing sure. is nothing is as good. And I don't really know if I mean that hyperbolically <laughs> or not. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that nothing is as good as Super Mario World is. But Mega Man X gets pretty close for a platformer. It gets really close for a platformer. Um, it does something totally different. I think that in the conversation of platformers, and I don't mean to you know give any side eye to the Sonic the Hedgehog fans out there. Mm -hmm. I think that it does better than Sonic. I like Sonic, but Sonic gets in its own way. Mega Man X does not. I, I actually really do enjoy the first three Sonic games, but there's a weird thing about it where, you know, you go from being super, super, super fast and then you have to stop. And that always bugs me about that stuff. And I love them. I, I feel that's a, that's a conversation I could dive in and jump in with you about Sonic. And yeah. uh, I always found the issue with the gameplay is that you design these levels to be explored, yet you're going through them so fast that you don't get to see, I'd say, 75% of these levels when you're zooming through them. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? That's, that's, you know, Sonic really found that stride and how to do that super well. Those, those Genesis games are good. You know, I have, I have no problems with them. I have no real, real complaints. But it's always good when you're talking about comparing stuff together. When you play Sonic Mania, you're like, oh, this is how it should have worked. A widescreen TV is the right way to play this game. Now, when you're looking at Mega Man, I think Mega Man X really achieves everything it wants to achieve. It gives you speed. It gives you tenacity. It gives you the right level of aggro. And Usually, if you make a mistake in Mega Man X, you feel something that you did wrong. Yes. I don't feel that the game is cheap in that way. The control is tight. The platforming is accurate. When you run and jump, you always feel like if you missed it, it's something that you did wrong and you could do better next time. Except for Boomer Quanger, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Boomer Quanger, I think the game is not cheap at all. <laughs> uh, I think it's very, very reasonable in terms of the skill level versus what you need to do. I just don't like getting caught in that phantom, you know, headbutt slash <laughs> toss. Well, I agree with you. You're not going to pick up this game your first time and run through it. No, this you're going to get one of those games yeah. that you're going to, you're going to fall in a lot of holes. You're going to get beat by enemies. You're going to learn the patterns, learn the way to beat the game. But this game is for gamers and platform gamers. This is an A plus. Yeah, it's an A plus. It's a top, top tier game for me uh like i said it's probably my third favorite game behind super mario world uh I, you know some street fighter street fighter might take might sometimes beat it uh in terms of like my favorite games of all time but Mega Man x is is definitely up there it's it's i i can't say <laughs> enough good things about this game well i i agree 110 percent Mega Man x will always hold a a dear spot in my gaming library and in my my personal top 10. Yep. But in closing thoughts, our inductee, our second inductee today, Mega Man X, classic platformer, Super Nintendo, great sprites, great artwork, music, gameplay. This is the full package. Uh, Mike, any closing thoughts from you? You know, you really just, you said everything I wanted to say um, with that. I just think that if you haven't played it, please do and don't give up on it. If you, if you jump into it and it, it, it gives you a beating, just, just realize that failure is the first step to success and you should really give this game all of the attention it deserves. 
And for those of you who want to argue with me and say that Mega Man 2 or 3 are better, um, I'd love to have that conversation. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Uh, I, I, just, I just think this game's the best in the series. Well, that is our first episode of the Hall of Fame podcast talking about the Hall of Fame video games of all time. Uh, please tune in. We're going to try and make this a weekly event where we can talk about the greatest games across all generations. I know today we hit a couple Capcom Nintendo classics, but we're, eh, going to be hitting, okay. we're going to be hitting everything. We're going to go old school, new school, and everything in between. So uh, please tune in. Again, my name is Matt Levy. This is Mike Staub, my partner today. Hello. And uh, we do appreciate you tuning in. Look forward to seeing us on all podcast services, podcasts on iTunes. And uh, thank you very much. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy. And remember, play all those games.